Yeah, Workers' Day, everybody. International Labor Day, International Workers' Day here. And certainly SAFM, like many stations and other broadcast platforms, have been busy and at pains in certain instances engaging the significance of this day. Right now, I'm watching a recorded speech of the president, I'm sure addressing some or other thing, including but not limited to alliances and whatever that might mean. So it is an important day for us as people who are in work, either as employer or employee service providers to places of work as part of our services rendered under contract, as well as and especially for those who are looking for work. I would imagine that this conversation I'm about to have with you this evening is particularly useful. Just before I get into the substantive part of this evening, I do, of course, wish to share with you that this month a couple of things shall be changing going forward on the SFM viewpoint. We've had a conversation internally as the team where we've restructured one or two things. First thing, we welcome Ms. Amanda Sindelo, who is now a producer of the show together with Lesejo Mangwanyana. So those are the two producers that I shall have on this platform, SAFM Viewpoint, for the next broadcast cycle. In other words, at the end of 31 March 2024, all things being equal. And, and I don't take that lightly. Second, there shall be a couple of segments that we will be introducing. This one stays, the Monday lecture stays, which will be presented this evening by Stephen Sachs, director at the law firm Bagram Sachs Incorporated here in Johannesburg. And the thesis of his lecture, the title of his lecture is Labor and South African Politics, <laughs> rather, Labor and South Africa, A Political Perspective. I will let him talk more about that. And then there will be the news break at 21 hours, after which there shall be an interview with Ms. Connie Matlejwane, tips for a female entrepreneur on how to get a seat at the table and secure business from big business. That's a standing feature in the sense that we will have some of those normal radio conversations directed at social justice and, and, and similar conversations of public interest, certainly, that doesn't change as well, or at least we keep that as part of our broadcast mandate as a public interest station. And then at 21.30, which is now a new and shall become a standing feature on Mondays, Legal 101, a question on law. This evening, we are talking about workplace injuries. So if you have been injured at work or if you are injured because of what you were doing at work we are engaging that conversation this evening we shall have an attorney to answer your questions from 21 30 until the top of the hour so please don't delay engage your comments now or your questions now ideally via voice note so we can put all of this together so that we can play for the attorney in advance for when she does come on, we can play the voice note and she can immediately answer for she would have been given time to prepare. Of course, there will be those questions that come up as a matter of as she engages. And of course, we can take calls in that regard. So that is Monday, the first Monday of every month anyway. It will be the Monday lecture. We will have a feature conversation focusing on public interest, stroke social justice, as we have always done. And then the last 30 minutes on a Monday, which is now a feature going forward. It will be Legal 101, so engaging questions from consumer law to contract law, labor law, criminal law, law of delict is especially useful given the fact that it's what largely floods the civil court. Anyway, I don't want to take too much time because this is a dedicated hour for hashtag the Monday lecture. So after the break, 
We welcome Mr. Stephen Sachs, Director at Bagram Sachs Incorporated, uh, an attorney's firm here in Johannesburg, and he'll be talking to us about Labour and South Africa uh, political perspective. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhezomapete on SAFM. Hey, Songheza, thank you for having me. It's good to be here on a special day, I think, uh, Workers' Day, International Workers' Day. And I think if one looks back in South Africa, we had a constitution that came into being with the um, in about 1996, 30-odd years ago, and the workplace is still in a difficult environment for workers. One wonders what that constitution with the promises that it gave has done for workers. There's a lot of stuff that's gone on over the years, a lot of promises that have been made, and a lot of promises that have been broken and haven't been followed through. So to give you a little bit of background, South Africa is a difficult situation in terms of things like disparity of income the hugest disparity of income in the world. You have workers in factories, in offices, who earn a fraction of what the management and senior directors of the businesses are earning. There's some kind of an explanation for that, and we, we might get into that a bit later. But by and large... Workers in South Africa have lost jobs over the years. Unemployment is sitting at the highest rates ever in South Africa. And the future is not that looking that bright. South Africa, just to give you some history, was a signat- is a signatory to the International Labour Organization. This is an organization that promotes social justice I know you talk about that in your program. It promotes internationally recognized human and labor rights for workers. And South Africa has adopted all the principles of the International Labor Organization. The prime principles of that organization are the setting and promoting of standards at work, the creation of opportunities for employment and for full employment, to try and get an economy fully employed, to create an environment for safe employment so that workers are, they feel safe and they are secure in their jobs. All the political parties in South Africa have consented to the principles of the International Labour Organization. The problem in South Africa is implementation. We have high unemployment. We have an unfavorable investment environment. We have lack of concrete plans and action by government. You will have heard today the president talking about workers' solutions that they plan to put forward on the table are promises. I wonder whether those promises are ever going to be carried through and whether they're realistic 
the question one must ask is, what is the relevance of a trade union today in South Africa? I personally believe that they are very relevant. There is a place for them. They can represent employees, not only blue-collar workers, but all workers. And there's a whole proliferation of, of unions in South Africa, and they all focus on different areas and different industries. There's an overriding um, or, or overall control body, bodies like Kusatu and SAFTU, who try and have the other um, uh, unions under their umbrella. Um, that there are a lot of political affiliations with the unions. The interesting thing is that most of the workers in South Africa are employed by our government. Now, when you have government employing all the, most of the workers in South Africa, and you then have a union who's representing those employees, and that union is part of the tripartite alliance, it's pretty much a perfect storm waiting for a place to happen. The unions are going to fight for the workers' rights, but on the other hand, they have an allegiance to the government. So where, where do the lines get drawn? There's grey areas. I believe that unions have lost a little bit of relevance in today's times in South Africa. Why do I say this? Because they've become more politically oriented and politically focused over the years, whereas they, I believe that they should be more involved on the workplace floor. They should be in the factories, working with the employees, ensuring that there's fair labor practices employed, working conditions are good, wage negotiations take place in a controlled democratic environment. If you look at most workplaces, there's an unequal balance between workers and employers. There's generally, the, the employers are generally in a much stronger position of power and bargaining power and control than the workers are. In many cases, workers are scared to come forward with issues to management. They're worried about their jobs. So it's a, there's an opportunity for the unions to become more relevant in representing these employees and bringing to the table all the issues related to the workplace environment and trying to negotiate with management of whoever the employer is, whether it be government or it be private sector, <clears throat> to work with them and negotiate on behalf of the workers so that they can have a better environment and, like I said in the beginning, promote the social justice and the labor rights that every person is entitled to. The problem for the unions is that they're losing membership. They've lost huge numbers over the years because of the increasing rate of unemployment. 
Companies have retrenched staff. Companies have closed down. The economy has not been conducive to encouraging businesses to employ people. And this has caused a major problem for unions in that they have lost the membership, they've lost the income, and they're struggling to have relevance where they can support the few members that they've got left. The other part that unions can do is they should be representing employees in disputes with the employer, representing them in forums such as the Commission for uh, Conciliation, Mediation, Arbitration, the CCMA. It's a cost-effective way for an employee who cannot afford legal representation, which we know is expensive, for them to represent those employees in those dispute resolution forums. They should be negotiating a living wage for the employees. There's a big issue related to inflation. Are increases keeping up with inflation? You just have to look at any newspaper at the moment and they'll tell you that people are struggling. Standards of living are are dropping. And it's the average worker that is suffering most from this. The next question I suppose one could ask is, are strikes effective? Because one tends to relate strikes to unions with strikes. The first thing you think about when you hear about a union is you think about strikes. Are strikes effective? I'll give you an example of why I believe that strikes, well, they certainly have a place, but I don't personally subscribe to the principle of a strike. If you think about it, there are, is an offer from an employer on the table of, let's say, 5% as an increase. The union, on behalf of the workers, says they reject that increase. So then they go and get the workers to go out on strike. What are they striking for? The employers offering the 5%, the unions are demanding, let's say, 10%. And we all know where that's going to go. It's going to end up somewhere in between. There's going to be something in between. So let's say they're going to settle on 7%. The problem that the workers have is that they're off work for a week, two weeks, earning nothing because there's a no-work, no-pay policy. They've already got the 5%. That's already been promised to them. So they're not fighting for 7%. They're fighting for 2%. And unfortunately, I think that the unions are doing a disservice to the workers by not explaining this to them. So they're now on strike, and I'll repeat it again, not for 7%. They're on strike for 2%. That 2%, assuming they get it, They will never make up in the 12 months following the increase because of the lost wages for the week or two weeks or three weeks that they've been out on strike. And I wish that workers actually would understand this better and that the unions would explain it to the workers, but they don't. 
The fact is that the workers believe that they're out on strike for a 7% increase. If I move on to another issue which has been a political hot potato in South Africa, that's the minimum wage. Minimum wages are set at the moment at 25 rand 42 per hour. Many companies are not paying this minimum wage. There's even some unions that have turned a blind eye to those companies that are not paying the minimum wage because they just simply cannot afford it. The intention of the minimum wage was to try and get to a point where everybody earned a living wage. But the fact of the matter is that by enforcing this minimum wage, government has encouraged employers to reduce their workforce and to make those workers that stay behind work even harder. Now, is that social justice? Is that fairness in the workplace? I don't think so. There are many foreign workers in South Africa that are caught in a trap. They, besides the fact that they may or may not have issues with their work permits, and just to make it clear, even if a person doesn't have a work permit to work in South Africa, but they are employed, they still are subject to the labor laws of the country. So in other words, just because a person doesn't have a work permit doesn't mean that you can just fire, hire or fire them. You still have to follow proper labor processes if you want to terminate one of their, the, those kind of employees. But what happens is they're too scared to say anything for fear of losing their job. And I think <coughs> that the intimidation with these kind of things is hindering a proper interaction between workers and employers. Employers are demanding more. They're under pressure in their businesses to produce more profits. And one of the easiest ways to cut costs in the business is to cut labor. So the, the employees, the workers, who have these difficult working environments are too scared to say anything for fear of retribution. The labor laws in South Africa are quite draconian and tough. We have a great democracy in South Africa, but sometimes I believe maybe we're too democratic. If one wants to dismiss an employee, the employer has to comply with strict laws and procedures. If not, then there are severe penalties, potentially. We have organizations like the CCMA, which is a very functional arm of government, and it works very well. However, a lot of workers, when they go to the CCMA, are unrepresented. This is a place where the unions could play a bigger part and represent the workers properly and efficiently. Many of the employers arrive with skilled HR personnel, attorneys and the like to fight a case of unfair dismissal 
and the employee doesn't have that benefit. The union could stand in and fill that role. The labor courts are a long and slow process. It's in Johannesburg, it's taking about 18 months to two years to get a court date for whatever the matter may be. The Labor Relations Act provides through its various sections for a speedy resolution of labor disputes. The principle behind that is that one doesn't want these disputes between an employer and an employee to drag on. They should be able to be resolved quickly. I had a case a couple of years ago where it took us, we went into the labor court eventually, but it took 16 years for my client to get a resolution on his matter. I think it's an exceptional case, but it's a case that I was personally involved in. And eventually, after 16 years, we won the case. I wasn't the attorney all the time, but um, it just shows you how long the process can take. When we finally got to court, it took 14 months for the judge to deliver the judgment. Now, the Judicial Service Commission have put out a recommendation and the judge presidents of the various courts have put out a recommendation that judgments are delivered in three months. It took us 14 months to get one. I currently have two matters. One where I'm waiting eight months for a judgment and one where I'm waiting four months, odd, four and a half months for a judgment. And I don't know when I'm going to get them. We spoke briefly about the promises by government. I don't believe that they have the wherewithal to implement the promises of a better economy, of higher employment, of jobs. Jobs, jobs, jobs. That's the key word being spoken about on a day like today. Many people have even given up looking for jobs because they just know that there's, it's impossible. Another issue we need to think about, not only in this country, is what will the future jobs be? I think that all jobs are going to be different. Technology is advancing at a rapid rate, and the jobs that young people today or kids today are going to have in the future are going to be vastly different from the jobs that we've got now. Things like artificial intelligence, AI, are going to take away a lot of jobs from a lot of people. Lawyers are one of them. But um, with it comes opportunities. There are opportunities for people to get out there and get involved in developing technology, involved in new businesses, involved in providing services and information that doesn't currently exist. Education is a huge problem. We need to educate our people better. We've got workers who end up in jobs and they're going to stay pretty much in those jobs for the rest of their lives. Primarily because they lack the education and the skill to be promoted to a better position. We need entrepreneurship. It's critical for the growth of the economy in South Africa.
Coming back to, to unions, I, I mentioned earlier that there was intimidation. I think when you have strikes, I don't believe necessarily that if you've got a couple of thousand people out on strike, that they all actually believe that the strike is going to be successful for them. My belief is that the majority of them want to get back to work. They want to put bread on the table for their families. I was involved in a business many years ago where uh, there was a strike. It went on for three weeks. And one of the workers in particular wanted to come back to work. He was quite a senior shop floor, shop steward, I think he was. Um, and he came into the factory, but when he left, he was attacked by the striking workers outside. And they hit him in the head with an axe. He survived, and I had the greatest respect for him because he knew what he was getting himself into. But that's the kind of thing that's happening. So at the end of the day, we're finding that workers are being suppressed. And I think that there's a great opportunity for them, for the government and for the workers to really take the bull by the horns and put some concrete plans into place. I don't know what those plans are. I'm not a politician. But certainly, if we get rid of some of the red tape in South Africa, both in corporate red tape, employment red tape, that'll go a long way to improving the lot of businesses and workers, and I'm sure we will get the economic growth coming out of that into the future. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much, Mr. Stephen Sachs. Labour and South Africa, a political perspective. The time is 2039. I propose the production team take us to an ad break right now. So there are quite a few things you've spoken about. I'm just quickly going to go through them there, Stephen, just to jog the memory of our <coughs> listeners and also encourage them to participate in this conversation by ideally first calling 86 2032. Let's hear your voice, and I especially want the voices that dissent or don't quite align with what he has proffered, that is Stephen Sachs, in his analysis, in his judgment, if you will, of his experiences in part, but also just just his view of the South African landscape in terms of labor and employment law. What, what is your take on the income disparity and what perhaps at a social level it creates on the ground, the perfect storm, a critique of the tripartite alliance, and that it can't quite work because it does blur the lines to use some of his language. He referred to the power dynamics that are inherent in employer-employee relations, and I certainly do want to probe that given the banter he and I shared before we went live on air. The 2% differential to which she makes reference and mention of in the context of strikers or striking labor against whatever is offered by the employer and whatever the employees or the labor unions are actually striking for and whether or not it is feasible or just commonsensical, if you will, to go on a strike to strike for an extra 2% when the numbers, at least from what he offered, seldom make the true difference or the difference that is supposedly being protested for. He speaks about the fact that the laws, processes, and rules are too democratic, and he proffers a solution of or an idea of 
cutting out the red tape, whatever that red tape is. So we're going to get into this and we're going to get deep into it. I do want this to be a debate because I would imagine a lot of you who are engaging in this conversation, who have heard Stephen and myself on the call now, can in one way or the other relate to the question of labor, either as an employer or an employee or one who is looking for work, especially if you are looking for work, what one can do to be a little more attractive to prospective employers or to be a little more entrepreneurial and enterprising in the pursuit of income. These, this rather is an opportunity to engage. Let's also talk about the judicial capacity, which is probably not so much a conversation for today, but it certainly does bear reference. The capacity of the state, particularly the judiciary, to be able to assist, for instance, the settlement of disputes. I mean, justice delayed is justice denied. If you are waiting for 16 years to have a labor matter settled, goodness gracious me, are you working at that point? Are you not working? Are you paying somebody to be at work, but is not at work because of the nature of the dispute? Who wants to pay anybody for 16 years monthly when that person is not working? Who wants to be sitting at home in a dispute for that long when they just want to move on with their life? Perhaps somebody who's really committed to being right. I don't know. Let's engage that conversation. Let's talk about the evolving nature of work. And perhaps you at home who has been made redundant in work because of the influence of technology in your workplace or in the industry in which you're operating. And so the Options are very wide. The platform just as much. We have a full 27 minutes. No, actually, we don't. We have a full 17 minutes to engage this. After the break, we are taking the first caller. It's Mike from Newlands. I understand there is a voice voice note that we will play out with the hope that we can get more contributions from you at home. I repeat the number to call, 086-000-2032, or the WhatsApp voice note or text number, 0614-104. 107. Let's take this to the top of the hour, being the Monday lecture, Labour and South Africa, a political perspective. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. On SAFM. 20.44 is the time. We are taking as many calls as possible or voice notes or text messages. Your questions to Mr. Stephen Sachs, Director at Bagram Incorporated, Labour and South Africa, a political perspective. You've heard him, you've heard me. Now let's hear Hugh. Mike Newlands first up. Mike, good evening. Oh, sure. Hi, good evening, Sangeza, uh, uh, and good evening to Stephen. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for, for such a I don't know. I was absolutely captured by the way you calmly aligned, outlined, I think, everything about unions and where we are in our country today. A couple of things that I would like to just mention, uh, and this is from personal experience on my mm. head. Uh, unions are a business. Um, I had three unions in my factory. One day I came into the factory, the uh, production line had completely stopped. And it's not because of they were striking against me, but the, the three unions were fighting over membership. Because they, in fact, the more members they've got, the more money the union bosses make. And um, that was th- that, that's the first point I want to make. The second one is that I find that the unions, and particularly the two unions, well, I ended up with three, uh, were uh, very politicized. So uh, because I was white and because my staff were all colored or black, um, they politicized everything that I did. And it was extremely awkward and very difficult um, for me to operate. And the third thing was... The unions really gave no, didn't give a damn about the, the staff in, at the end of the day. I, um, I had 140 people working for me, and eventually I was so worn down by unions, I went to Berlin or Frankfurt, in this, sorry, Frankfurt. I bought a machine at great expense 
but I managed to uh, get the machine to the job of 32 people. I was really reluctant to do it because at that stage I was South African that was proud to employ, and I felt we needed employment. But uh, eventually I had to put in this machine, and I was very, very pleased eventually to get my staff down to under 100 because it simply was impossible to really continue. So the, the, the point I suppose I really want to make at the end of the day, that I'm not anti-union. Um, the union that I had originally was a great union, but unfortunately in South Africa, we've, we've lost our direction. We, we, the, the unions think they're political parties. Our government has no idea of how a business actually operates, has no idea of profit and loss, and nobody in the union could give a damn whether I lost my house or not and everything that I'd worked for because I was a one-man show. And eventually, I eventually gave up, and the business ultimately closed down. Thanks very much. Thanks, uh, Mike. And thank you. Certainly. Thanks for your comments. We will certainly have those engaged. And if you as a listener want to engage Mike from what he has said, look, the platform is open. We don't try and limit people's voices, opinions, or perspectives here. So with that said, let's go to the Northwest KGM. It's been a long time. Good evening. Welcome to the show again. Good evening, Tsongas. Uh, good evening to your guests and to my fellow listeners. Two, two things very critical for me. Um, the, the, the issue of whether we have to, to blame or point a finger or shift blame to the unions or to government is neither here nor there. I think uh, for, for the longest time, we keep on running away from the fact. And the fact, in as far as I'm concerned, is that a lot of these problems, as it were, are systematic. Now, whether Mike in Newlands talks about losing the opportunity to so-called employ 140 or 1,400 employees is neither here nor there. We, we are in a system, have been for the longest of time, a system that, that is one-sided, that protects the poor over the, I mean, protects the, the, the rich and wealthy over the poor, hungry, and destitute. Now, for as long as we're not going to come up with a solution, systematically so, a solution that, that talks to the benefits uh, balanced, if you like. I know it doesn't make sense in today's way of looking at things. It hasn't made sense in, in, in many fronts, even in the past. But for as long as the, the employee who is touted to be uh, the, the, the last, if you like, to, to in, in, the, in the chain, in the, in the beneficial chain, if you look at how business vis-a-vis employees is concerned. For as long as that is not going to be corrected, Songhezo, in, in the next decade again, if you will still be with SAFM, we'll still be having <laughs> Inshallah. This- <laughs> absolutely absolutely but but maybe as, as a parting shot mm. I, I i well we, we employ here's, a, here's a, a nice one for for your guests we we employ uh now i think 22 um across 22 countries in the continent going to 54 now think about it Songesh. if we're having this kind of conundrum here in south africa Think of it when you expand it to the region, SADC, and then you go to the other five regions across the continent. Uh, I already have gray hair, my friend, and, and it's all in the name of the system. 
for as long as the system is not dealt with, we are creating problems for people who don't only create employment, but share or are willing to share okay. the riches and the wealth with the rest of everybody else. We've got you. That's a perfect parting shot. My guest offered me a smile and a wink there. He clearly is salivating at the opportunity to respond to that. Thanks indeed, KGM. We've got three more callers at this stage. Ntlantla from KZN, Tebucho from the Val, Mzwanele from Tabecha. Now, I didn't anticipate there'd be as many calls, and of course I do love the calls, but it is 2050. There are 10 minutes left of the program, and we certainly do need to give a time for our guests to respond. So I propose at 2055, we cut calls. So whoever is speaking at 2054, 55, that person is the last caller, please, with your indulgence. So let's get through them as quickly as possible. Ntlantla? Uh, good. Fine, thanks. How's it? I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. Uh, because of time, Faith, so your speaker had spoken about uh, Section 20 of the of, of, of Decree. Section 20 of? Of Employment Equity. Okay, the Employment Equity Act, Section 20. Don't recall that, Yeah, he is listening. Go for yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Which gets to be submitted by uh, uh, employers and uh, and uh, this thing. And uh, public sectors. Um, my brother... In South Africa, we've got good laws and everything. The problem is implementation. Employment liquidity is there to ensure that unfair discrimination will get rid of it. At the moment, our government is not implementing it because there are also employers on the sidelines. They also exploit workers. So uh, now they are failing to implement the right protocols just because they are protecting themselves in the expense of us. Even the government, even even government sectors, they do submit Section 20. Affirmative action. Is not being implemented by the government too. Uh, uh, this thing, current deployment, is showing section 15, affirmative vaccine. When our I'm going to propose we go through. I think, uh, one, we don't have the time. Two, I think you've already taken to a bigger part and for this interruption. But I think we're going to focus on these employment equity plans to which you make reference to as per Section 20 of the Employment Equity Act. Certainly, Stephen has noted that. Let's go to Debucho from the Val. Very quickly, please, Debucho. We really don't have time now. Debucho, good evening. Good evening, Songez. Yes, sir. I'm going to be quick, uh, generalizing and oversimplistic, but the matter is complex. I think it's never going to work. If labor is uh, what it is to business, the softest and easiest factor uh, to deal with, yet it is the most crucial factor in business. Um, Take for example, at any given point in time, business is always projected. Whenever, um, you know, assessments are made to see whether the business is on target, they realize that uh, they might be missing the projected uh, targeted profits 
the first factor to be cut is labor. And uh, then it talks about this whole capitalism business model that simply doesn't work and it will always uh, keep things as difficult as they are. not going to have any impact for as long as we have these uh, business models that governments do not seem to have the control of uh, in the sense of, um, you, you know, dictating or even putting measures to control uh, the level of uh, super profits that are being eroded by business at the expense of labor. Excellent point. Let, let's take it from there. Let's leave it there. Rather, beg your pardon, Debuho. I think Stephen knows where you are going with that, and he certainly made notes. I'm watching him take them copiously. Mzwanela from Kabecha, last caller. Sorry, I'm not Mzwanela. I'm Mzwandile. I beg uh, your pardon, Budu. My no, 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 no problem. Just, just two quick points. I, I wish that your uh, your guest uh, maybe would have drawn co- con- comparisons between South Africa and more developed economies such as Europe. The, the UK and the US in terms of how they handle uh, what is that um, a, a unions and the state of unions in those particular countries. I worked there myself, but I would have wanted a much more learned uh, input as far as that is concerned. Secondly, look, I am actually an employer and becoming an employer and a growing employer. The point I want to make with that is I actually do not find sense in any organization that does not want to have a labor union. For that matter, I think a healthy organization is one that actually promotes labor unions. But what you must do then is firstly to to identify and and be specific as to what is a labor union, what services do they bring to an organization and the benefit of that, Mm. and not so much the negatives. Then the last point, just to to give you a, a perfect example, I'm here in an industry uh, in agriculture, predominantly citrus here in the Eastern Cape. When I arrived in this, this industry employs over 65,000 people. 30 seconds. When I, okay, when I arrived here, they didn't have a labor union. Do you know what happened? Politicians and civic organizations assumed that space and, and drove the labor from a political point of view. That caused more havoc, more disruptions, more, uh, what is that? cost unto the employers than it, if they had a, a labor union. So, so I'm, I'm saying Let's they're... leave it there. Let's leave it there. You certainly are echoing the sentiments of Mike in Newlands when you talk about those. Stephen, until 21 hours, the floor is yours. Thank you. So to try and answer those questions quite quickly, um, I think that there's a thread that's gone through them. And it started with Mike where he bought this machine. And unfortunately what's happening is that Companies are mechanizing, and with mechanization, they're finding more efficiency and they're getting rid of um, staff through retrenchment and through the increased efficiencies that they can realize um, once they put in machinery. It's a problem. It's a huge problem. But it's something that the whole world is facing. It's not only South Africa. It's relevant here, of course. Throughout the world, we've got the same problem, and that leads back to my point where I talked about education and entrepreneurship, and we've got to look to the jobs of the future. Unions not caring about staff um, and ultimately causing a close down of a business, that's why I said I believe that unions do have a part to play. I think that thread has come through all these questions from everybody, where 
um, especially Zwandile, right at the end, he said you should have a healthy relationship between the company and the unions. I believe in that. But the unions need to come to the party. I think the unions have shortchanged a lot of workers. They haven't actually been, as I mentioned right in the beginning, on the floor, in the workplace, fighting for workers' rights. It's become very political and very... It's on the front page of every newspaper. We should rather be keeping it enclosed within the organization and dealing with the issues on the factory floors. Systemic problems, yes, I agree. This whole labor issue has systemic problems in it, and there's no easy answer. Um, Labor is a soft target. It's something that that companies look to when they're looking to cut costs. Um, We read of Telcom, we read of ESCOM, we read of... Transit, all these places cutting uh, staff to to improve their profitability or reduce their losses, it's a there's a huge systemic problem within the labour environment in this country. Um, I'm just having a look if there was anything else that I've missed. Oh, Section 20 of the Employment Equity. Um, I didn't mention it specifically, but yes, it, it kind of ties into what I said about government making promises. Promises are easy to make. Plans are easy to make. It's easy to have an employment equity plan. To put it into practice is complicated, much more complicated than than it's uh, than it seems on the on the face of the plan. So, a minefield. Labour relations is a minefield. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you very very much, Stephen, for your time. Thank you so much for your thoughts and your experiences. What I did fail to do was I promoted the attorney in you, but. Of course, I should have said you're also a very good bloke with numbers. You are a qualified attorney as well as a chartered accountant. Goodness gracious. Who has the time for that? As a lawyer, you don't really want anything to do with numbers. But hey, maybe as a numbers man, you might actually find that your profession is rather boring. You come to the exciting side of things. Law. Well, it has been a great show. Thank you very much to you at home as well. For those of you who dropped voice notes or interfaced with us on WhatsApp, we have put your contributions on ice because in about half an hour from now, in any event, we do have Ndabiseng Dubazana, director and attorney at Dubazana Attorneys. We are talking about workplace injuries, but certainly some of what you have engaged in the context of labor law will be included in that section. So certainly please do stay tuned and keep making contributions, specific questions on and around being injured at work. Are you injured at work? Are you sitting at home because of an injury? Do you have a recurring injury? These are some of the questions you can certainly probe as we engage that segment in half an hour from now. For now, Modubi Makhalimel with the news.